Um, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this gathering. Lord, we are grateful that you have brought this group of people here for this moment in time. So, Father, I pray that what happens today, you're honored by it. I pray that we are encouraged by it, Lord. I pray that we are spurred on all the more as the day of Jesus' return draws closer and closer. God, as we get, in, get into a heavy story with some heavy stuff today, I pray that your word meets us where we are. And at the end of the day, God, we can be just like Abraham. We, we can approach you with the confidence that he has in the relationship that you two have together. So, Father, I pray that your word meets us today. Help us to have the obedience of Abraham. Let us, let us be motivated, God, all the more to do that very thing. Father, as we come before you, we also pray for Jackie. We continue to pray for her health and her strength. Be with the doctors that they can diagnose exactly what's going on. Give her the treatment that is needed. Restore her health, Father. Be with us now. We turn to you. Amen. All right. You may be seated, Life Kids. You guys are dismissed. All right. So they're already in the back. Six more Sundays to Easter where we will celebrate the risen Savior. And so between now and then, we're going to go on a journey through some of the geographical locations that God used as part of his story. As his story or history unfolds, we're going to, we're going to look at these things, and we're calling it mountains. And we're going to start and end in the same geographical uh, location, even though they have different names. Mount Moriah, where the story of Abraham takes place, which we're going to read about in a moment, is the same location as Mount Calvary. It's the same place that, that Jesus went to the cross, Golgotha. But here's the question that we're asking you today. Do you have the same confidence in God that Abraham did? And we're, we're going to look at a story, and it's one of those stories that's like, oh, wow. That, that's, that's, that's pretty, the nerve of God even. Like, how, how why, why could God even ask such a thing of somebody? Do you have, this morning, the same confidence in God that Abraham did? Abraham, after all, is in the Hall of Fame, found in Hebrews chapter 11. You look at that 
that, that chapter and it lists all these different people. There's Abraham and, and he's got the most written about him than anybody else. And so he is a great man of faith. But he also had a confidence in who God was. And he was willing to be obedient even though it didn't make sense. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Genesis 22 is the story. We're going to put it up here on the screen. Mount Moriah. There it is. <clears throat> After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. He said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar, the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. God said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. As it, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham the second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose, and they went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. All right, we're going to walk through this passage, and we're going to jump through to a couple of other passages, so you're going to need your Bibles a lot today. Most of it will be up here. All right, so at the very beginning, he leads in with after these things. Now, let's just get everybody caught up so that we're on the same page so that you know exactly what after these things mean. When Abraham was 75 years old, his dad was still alive. 
they decided that his Abraham's dad that they were going to up and move as they get ready to up and move. They go to a, a, a partial place. They don't even know where they're going, but they're going. Uh, they plan on going to, to Canaan, actually, where they're actually going. And they get about halfway, and dad dad decides, hey, we're going to stop right here. We're going to camp out. Dad ends up dying. Abraham now is the patriarch of the family, and uh, God speaks to Abraham. Which another thing you need to know about Abraham's family, and Jacob tells us this, uh, or Joshua tells us this. Abraham was a pagan worshiper. His family worshipped idols. All right, so it's, it's not like they've got this long, deep relationship with God. But Abraham speaks to God, and Abraham is 75 years old, and he makes this promise to him. Right? You're going to be the father of many nations. Your bloodline will go on and on and on, and your family tree will have more people in it than the stars in the night sky. That's the promise in a nutshell. One problem. Abraham and his wife at 75 did not yet have a son for this bloodline to continue through. Abraham's like, all right. You tell us to pack up and move and go on. We'll pack up and move and go on. Whatever you say, God, we're going to do it. And for 25 years of journeying, being nomad, for 25 years of getting into different situations, man, we could get into the stories that Abraham got into for 25 years of being tested, of 25 years of wondering why God is taking his time, it finally happens. In Genesis 18, we shared this story a couple weeks ago in our life groups. Abraham has an encounter with three guys, three, three figures, more on this in just a second, and they are told that in one year's time, it's going to happen. That's the scene, if you remember the story, Sarah's in the tent, she's cooking, she's getting a meal ready for the visitors, and they say this to Abraham, and Sarah laughs. And, and the Lord says, did you just laugh? Say, oh, no, no, not me, I didn't, I didn't laugh. That's the scene. And a year from that point, Isaac, at the age of 100, Isaac comes into the world. That's the after these things. Okay, so now we're on the same page. Some time goes by. God once again calls out to Abraham. Abraham. I love Abraham's response anytime anybody calls him. Here I am. It's like, is somebody blind in this? I don't know. I say, Here I am. In verse 2 of chapter 22, it says this Take your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So let's just time out for a second. All right, let me, let's, let's make sure that we're all on the same page here. God, for 25 years, tested Abraham over and over and over again. And, and here's the thing. Abraham did not pass every test with flying colors. All right, I mean, there, there's, there's a couple of instances where, where, where Abraham is so selfish, he's like, hey, just tell the king that you're my sister and not my wife, and, and that way, if they, they have your way with you, Sarah, you know, they won't kill me to do it. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, that's in Abraham's life. Not, that didn't happen just once, it happened twice. He's so fearful of his life, he's willing to say that his wife is his sister and that y'all can just have your way with her if it comes down to it. 
That's Abraham. So it's not like Abraham passed every test with flying colors up to this point. But here's the thing. For 25 years, he has proven to be faithful. And now God is not done testing Abraham. And the fulfillment of God's promise has now been born. And is now, God says, one more test. I mean, I mean like, like, you're going to be the father of many nations. I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice. And we can get into the Hebrew of that and what's there. And there's some clues there, but we're not going to do that today. The reality is, I think for most of us, for you and I, especially with a Western mindset, this seems absurd. Like, like, what's the point of it even? The promise, after all, is that God is going to bless Abraham by making him the father of many nations. You and I know biology enough to know the son is important. Like, if, if, if I'm going to be the father of many generations to come, I, I have to have children. I have to have what mattered most for them, the son. But look at Abraham's response when God does this in verse 3. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of the young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. Now, now notice what he did not do. All right, now, we don't have everything, but we know that there's this conversation with God about, I want you to offer your son. I want you to go to the land of Moriah. I'll tell you when to stop. I'll tell you where to go. But I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering early the next morning. He gets up. No, notice, what, no, notice what he doesn't do. He did not question God's absurd command. And it's only absurd in our eyes, by the way. But he didn't question it. You want, me to, you want me to do something like offer my son? He, he didn't question it. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, I want you to make disciples. Whoa, now what does that mean? Do you want me to do what? No, no, no. You, you mean that was for your guys. That's, that's not. He didn't procrastinate either. He didn't make excuses. He got up and he did what God asked him to do. He rose early in the morning. He gathered up servants to go along with him. He took Isaac, because he's needed for this. He took supplies needed, and he headed out to the land of Moriah. And once again, I want you just to go to this region, and I'll tell you where to go. On the third day, three, three days, I mean, we're, we're traveling. And, and I'm going to tell you, from Beersheba to, to Moriah, it's, it's, it's not a three days journey. So there's some wandering around that's, that's taking place. And on the third day, he sees the destination, and it's this mountain. Verse 5 changes this entire story. If you've never picked up on this detail before. Verse 5, I've, I've, I've heard this for years and years. Have never seen or paid attention to verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, We're here at the base of Mount Moriah. Stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He and the boy, they're going to go over to this place. They're going to leave the servants behind. We're going to go over here and we're going to worship God and then we are going to come back to you. Wait a minute. He's supposed to offer his son as a burnt offering, a sacrifice to God. Which, FYI, it kind of got brought up in one of our, our my life groups. Child sacrifices were a thing. It's not doesn't make it right, it doesn't, but it, it, it was something in that time period that was going on within other religions. Abraham knew something, church, to speak with the confidence that he did. And, and, and one theory is that, that Abraham is just trying to play it cool. That, that, that he's just, hey, he's got Isaac and he's dreading this moment. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to play it all cool for, for Isaac. And I'm saying the things that Isaac needs to hear so that he doesn't like run away. Right? Oh, don't, hey, you two stay here, me and the boy, we're going to go over here and worship for a while, and, and then we are going to come back. That, 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 that's one thought on this. Not me. I don't, I don't think Abraham is playing it cool. I, I, I think Abraham is in tune with what is going to be happening. So here's the question I'm asking you today. Do you have the same confidence in God that Abraham does? I mean, I get it on the on the on the the, the level of where we act, figure out and we process that question out. We're hard on ourselves, and, and, and most people who are in the church circles, most people, we're, we're going to sit there and say, "There's no way I have the same faith as Abraham. I wouldn't have packed up my child. I wouldn't have done that." But is it possible that Abraham knew that Isaac would not be the sacrifice? Is that a possibility? I mean, you still have to deal with the obedience. You still have to deal with, with the, hey, God told me to do this, and so I've got to follow through with this. But, but is, is, is it possible that Abraham knew that Isaac was not going to be the sacrifice? There's a very interesting conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. The conversation is so heated between Jesus and the Pharisees that the Pharisees actually claim that a Samaritan demon, not just any demon, but a Samaritan demon is living in Jesus. And as a matter of fact, twice in, in just a few sentences, they accuse him of having a demon living within him. And, and Jesus tells the Pharisees that anyone who keeps his word will not die. Right? Like that's what Jesus tells the Pharisees. If you keep my word, you're not going to die. They reply, oh, you do have a demon. Because our father, Abraham, um, he and the prophets, they're, they're all dead. How can this be? 
John 8, 56. This is what Jesus says on that. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him because Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. <laughs> here's, here's what's happening here, okay? Somewhere along the way, Abraham and Jesus have seen one another. Abraham has this view, a view by faith of Jesus on his day, meaning what that is, meaning on his day, meaning the time that Jesus spent on earth. Jesus is like, hey, Abraham and I, we go way back. He, he's seen me on my day, and he was glad for it. So how can Abraham see this? Right? I mean, is, is, is there this, I'm, I'm up in heaven, and I get to peer down on the earth? God allows that, but he doesn't really allow it from this normal people. Or was there something else? There's a theory that dates back to the early church fathers, uh, Ignatius, if you study him, Justin Martyr, if you study him, that, that Jesus came to earth before the incarnation. Right? Like we, we think of Jesus and we, we think of, well, God, Jesus didn't show up on the scene until Mary gave birth to him and they wrapped him in the clothes and they stuck him in the manger. But there is a theory, and, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of proof to this, actually, that Jesus made appearances in the Old Testament, obviously, if it's before the Incarnation. It, it, this is called a, a Christophany. All right? it, it's the appearance of Jesus as man before he came in the form of a baby, before that manifestation took place. Uh, a few examples. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you all remember that story? They get thrown into the fiery furnace. They look down in. Wait a minute. There's, there's somebody else in there. Who's down there? It's the Lord. Look at that. It's Jehovah. Right? Well, well, well in just a second, I'll show something with you. So the, there's Jacob, Psalm of uh, Genesis 32. Right? Like, like Isaac's, uh, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, wrestles all night long. With Jehovah. Right? Like, I mean, goes at it, round for round. Who are you? And he tells them that he is the Lord, he is Jehovah. And here's the thing we have to remember about God. You've got God in three parts you've got God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Spirit. God the Father never has his face look upon. As a matter of fact, Moses says to him, hey, uh, can I see you? I, I want to know who you are. I, wanna, I want to see you. And God's like, you can't handle me. 
right? Like, I mean, he literally tells Moses, I, I want you to stand in this rock cliff over here, and I want you to, this crevice that's right here, I want you to stand in here, and the best thing I'll do is I will pass by your backside, okay? And, and you will experience that, because, because here's the thing, when we look upon the face of God, you cannot help but to be radically changed to the point that you now become unrelatable to others who have not seen the face of God. Like, like that's what the Hebrew teaching is in this passage. Is it, it's not that he would necessarily die, but it would be that you would be so drastically changed if you came face to face with God that you would then be unrelatable. And if you remember the story of Moses, he came down and they're like, whoa, what happened to him? He's glowing. He's like, well, something's happening over here. And so we can't see God face to face. The Spirit is a Spirit that, that lives within us. But one part of the Trinity met man face to face and met man face to face often. That's God the Son. And in Genesis chapter 18, there's this other encounter. Abraham, Sarah, hanging out, doing their thing in Tent Village. And Abraham sees these visitors walking, approaching. And they're different. And as you follow this process, I'm telling you right now, you can go and you can study this on your own. I encourage you to do it. And as, as Abraham is addressing them, he's having a conversation with one of them, and he calls one of them Jehovah. He, he addresses one of these three as the Lord. And then there's this conversation at the end of chapter 18, that, that this is actually what we talked about, where, where Abraham and the Lord, Jehovah, they, they negotiate for the lives of the people of Sodom. Face-to-face -face conversation with God the Son. And I think, I believe going into this, that Abraham has a different knowledge of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit than what we give him credit for this day and age. And somehow, Abraham knows that Isaac is not the one and only son who is loved to be sacrificed. James chapter 2, verse 23 says, And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Righteousness is not right acts or right living, but right identity. And Abraham is credited by God to be a righteous person, to, to, to know this relationship intimately enough that he's even called the friend of God. There's a depth to this relationship between Abraham and God that reveals more than we realize. So you look back at Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. Abraham says, God, will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went on, both of them, together. I mean, one of two things is happening here. 
Once again, Isaac's just playing it cool. I mean, Abraham's just playing it cool and he's lying to his son. Don't worry, God's going to provide the land. Or, Abraham knows something that we're not privy to in just in the text at face value. Church, I believe that Abraham stood on that mountain knowing that Isaac was not the sacrifice. And none of it probably made any sense from Abraham's perspective. God has asked me to do this, and Abraham trusted that God would provide. Because here's the thing, you and I are guilty of this. I know I'm guilty of this. I want to know the why, and I want all the answers laid out. And God's like, I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me. I want you to do what I ask you to do. Trust what happens. Hebrews eleven seventeen. by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed in the power of God, and I think that he walked up that mountain with confidence. So let's finish this up. Verse 9 says that when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order uh, the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now think about this, all right? Now, now I get it that, that pre-flood people lived to be hundreds and hundreds of years old, all right? I got it. Uh, Post-flood uh, people still live longer than what we live today, uh, but 116, that's about where people think Abraham is at this stage of life. The fact that he walked up the hill, pretty good based on some of the conversations I've had with some of y'all today. Right? I mean, he walked up, he climbed up, he peaked the mountain. Okay? 116 years old. And, and, and most people believe that Isaac is not in diapers because he carried the wood. Now, he could be a three-year-old, but most likely he's a teenager because he asked a bunch of questions. Where's this? Where's this? Where's this? <laughs> well, I just said, get on the donkey and let's go. Right? So most people think mid-teens, 14, 17 years old. When you think about it, even if you're a healthy, spry 116-year-old, and you've got a 16, 17-year-old right over here. Hey, boy, bring me that rope. Go for it, Dad. Just stand there with your arms bound by your side. What? I'm just going to practice on you real quick. Well, wait, wait a minute. Why are you tying me up? It's for your safety. Uh, I mean, do you, like, like what, 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 what was that conversation like when you get into... You know, our other life group talked about this, and you know, did, did Sarah ever know any of this kind of stuff? Because I'm telling you right now, oh boy, if mama found out about this, mama, you mean I, what? 100 years old, I gave birth to him, you're about to put him on an altar? Yeah, a um, 116 year old man, do you really believe that he was able to just tie up this youthful son? And I think the son was willing. I think the son was willing to be obedient to the father. 
And he was willing to do what the father asked, even though it doesn't really make sense. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Like, like, like I'm going to, all right, God, I'm going to call you on this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm gonna, I mean, the, the, he's there. The son is there. And, and, and what would happen if it were an animal? The animal would be bound. We'd cut the animal. The blood would run down. We'd light the thing on fire. He's at the point of knife in hand. Son tied up on the altar. Coming in for the shot. And the angel of the Lord says, stop. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Do you fear God? And God, God gives us commands. God wants us to do things. Hmm. Wait a minute. I got questions, God. I'm uncomfortable, God. I'm not prepared, God. Do we think that any of those excuses apply to Abraham about the sacrifice of one and only son? I think all of them do. But what did he do? He had a greater respect for what God wanted for him, and he was willing to do it, even though it does not make sense in the eyes of man. And the angel of the Lord says, Now I know that you fear God. And verse 13 says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, he took the ram, he offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Probably a long walk back down the mountain just between father and son. Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Let's talk about some implications. We have three things for you. First off, Abraham is a great man of faith. He deserves everything that the Bible mentions of him. He's a great man of faith, and I believe that he had confidence in the Lord because he knew him well. He was a friend of God. Here's what I want you to think about Christians. As we trust God and our faith increases, God's going to allow us to, he's going to allow us to be put in seemingly impossible situations. He's going to allow that to happen. As you trust God, as your faith increases, he's going to put you in some things that may just don't make sense. Some things where you might be like, well, why God? Death the response, though. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, God is going to allow us to be tested. And some of this testing may not make any sense at all, but it develops us. If we allow it to do so, so that we may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. 
Now too often we get to the difficult situation, we get to the thing that doesn't make sense, and instead of trusting God and doing what God wants us to do, we question. We, 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 we procrastinate. We justify. Abraham says, first thing in the morning, we go out. Second implication, as followers of Jesus, we too should have great confidence in the promises of God, just like Abraham. And, and I know you hear that, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, yeah, there's days I want to sacrifice my children, but no, not happening. I mean, I'm not even setting one foot out the tent headed that way. Here's the thing. We should have the same confidence, church. You and I should have the same confidence in the promises of God, just like Abraham, because we are followers of Jesus. And I get it. We don't have the physical Jesus to stand before us. Right? Like, like, okay, let's just say that's true. Abraham and Jesus met face to face and they had some encounters. That's great. They had some conversation. That's great. And then we know the disciples, man, these, these are people of faith too. And then they got to walk and talk with Jesus for three years every single day. We too should have that level of faith. We should have that confidence, church. Jesus, after the resurrection, is having a conversation with some people that doubt it. It's not coming up on the screen, but listen, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You've not seen Jesus. Hopefully you've had some conversations with him as he has spoken to you through the very word that he has given to you. And hopefully somewhere along the way that God has sent some angels to cross paths with you. But I'm telling you right now, they just look just like people. People in need. You probably have not encountered Jesus the way the disciples did, the way that Abraham did. And Jesus says it to you and I today, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You all believe. He says, what about the people who believe and haven't seen they are more blessed. And then before the resurrection, this is what Je this is a promise to Jesus, to you and I. John 14, 15, and 16, there's a whole lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. It's the night's lead, it's the night leading up to, to Jesus going to the cross, to the arrest. And Jesus is like, you know what I mean? I gotta give all, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys all of these things. And, and he promises the disciples that they're gonna receive. The Holy Spirit. And he says to them in this text, I never realized this until it was uh, until I was studying it for this passage. Jesus says, you already have the Holy Spirit. You have it, but later on, it's going to be in you. He says in John 14. And then as he continues on with some further teaching in John 16, verse 7, he says, therefore I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. Don't miss the language here. It's to your advantage. Now, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the guys that saw him walk on water. He's talking to the guys that saw him spit in, in, in some dirt, make some mud, and cure blindness. 
He's talking to the guys that saw demons cast out. I mean, he, he, he's, the, these people have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They've got the physical Jesus standing right there, and it's, um, it's to your advantage that I leave. Because I'm giving you something that's better. If I stay, he doesn't come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. And can you imagine the disciples hearing this? So Abraham was visited by God. He had face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus. The disciples had Jesus for three years. You and I have the Holy Spirit in us. And here's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what marks us, according to Ephesians, for eternal life. We have direct access to the Lord right here. I don't have to have a face-to-face -face conversation. I've got Him right here. So I should have all the confidence in the world the promises of God. So here's the third implication, final thing. Here we go. I want to give you the trick. Oh, I, I, I want to give you the trick. Right? Like, like how are we going to walk out of here? And how am I going to live out this confidence? Right? You tell me I should have the confidence. How do I, how do I go out of here with the confidence? This is the thing that Abraham did. Paul's talking to the church at Rome. And he's talking about justification. He's talking about Abraham. Saved by faith. You know, what, what's, what's going on right through there? And he goes, everyone who does what God commands, their father is Abraham. Joe's like, what? What's going on? Biblical obedience, no matter the circumstances, that's the trick. Biblical obedience. I had a phone conversation yesterday with my mom and dad, and they, they told me that they went to uh, see the minister of my own church. And, and I'll, never, I'll never forget this moment. This was a hilarious moment. Uh, we were doing, uh, it's definitely not politically correct, couldn't do it today, but, but we, we did this fundraiser where we kind of farmed out the youth to go serve people. And we kind of, you know, it, it was one of those, like, um, I can't remember what the exact thing was. But, but you would pay for my services and I would come to your house and I would do whatever chores you needed me to do and you would write money, to the, you'd write a check to the church and that would help me pay for the thing that I was trying to go on, right? And so we, we did this thing and Andrea Plank, that's the minister's daughter, she and I are going to this older lady's house and, and this older lady, and, and, and none of y'all are this, we get it, but this, this, this older lady had this, this reputation of bringing things to the church potluck dinners that might have been old or out of date or kind of moldy. And it was like, seriously, when Miss So-and-so, you know, we like we identify what she brings to the dinner and then mom and dad tell the kids, hey, avoid the little blue dish over here with flowers on it. The problem is this was in the 80s and 90s and they all had flowers on it. But, you know, you, you avoid this right here, right? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't happen here ever, I promise. Nobody's talking about anyone's 
But now we're going over to work at the lady's house. And I'll never forget, we're staying in the kitchen with, uh, with, with Tom and his wife, Carol. And, and, and Carol brings up, well, what, what if she offers him something to eat? And Tom's like, well, just, just tell a little white lie. Tell him you're full. Tell him you have to eat breakfast. Tell him something. Carol's like, but that's a white, a white lie. He's like, well, yeah, but we don't want him to get sick. You know, and so like this conversation between my minister and his wife, they're going back and forth about what is the proper thing to do. We lied. That's, what, that's, that's, that's where we landed. We ended up lying to the lady. Right? And then we can laugh and we can joke about it. Oh, it's just a little white lie. It, it's no big deal. The trick to having the confidence before God is biblical obedience no matter. The circumstances, you want me to offer my son as a sacrifice because it comes from you, Lord, I'll trust you. And for some of you, this needs to take place in your marriages. For some of you, this needs to take place in your finances. For some of you, it needs to take place with your technology habits, what you watch, what you some of this needs to take place in how you treat one another. And as Abraham was obedient to the Lord, no matter the circumstances, Jehovah Jireh, God provided. And when we are obedient, no matter our circumstances, God provides. So we're going to go to the Lord right now, and Caleb's going to lead us in a song. And we'll kind of come back up and have a time of communion. I want you to process your life right now. Sing if you want to sing, meditate right now. But what's God saying to you about obedience no matter the circumstances? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you're sovereign. God, I pray that Abraham walked up that hill knowing that Isaac was not going to be the sacrifice, that you were going to provide a sacrifice. Yeah, he says it in there. Trust in the Lord, and he's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to provide something. But in the meantime, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And so, Father, I pray that prayer over our congregation. And we walk out of here today knowing that there are things that you've asked us to do. May we model the same faith, not questioning, not procrastinating. May we model the same faith, doing the things. We love you, God, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.